titled Pakistan's Foreign Policy in Transition, Driving Factors and Emerging Trends. I'm joined with my friend and co-host, Mr. Talha Ibrahim, who is Director of Academics at CSCR. A brief introduction about the guests. Mariam Rashid is a graduate of International Relations from National Defense University, Islamabad. She is currently associated with CSCR as a research assistant. She has been extensively working on international politics of South Asia, specifically focusing on internal and external politics of India and Afghanistan. Ms. Rida Anwar is a political researcher and blogger with a bachelor's degree in international relations from National Defense University as well. Besides having a knack for research and writing, she has been an enthusiastic debater and public speaking mentor since her university days. Before gaining experience as a research assistant at CSCR, she worked as a research intern at the Islamabad Policy Research Institute, IPRI, and also the Islamabad Strategic Studies Institute, ISSI. Rida plans to continue her future research in the area of environmental politics, specifically on the climate policies of major powers. So without further ado, here's welcoming Rida Anwar and Mariam Rashid to the program. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Thank you so much for having us. Sir. So Mariam and Rida, since uh, I know how closely both of you have worked on this paper, I would like to uh, start by asking a fundamental question that I, that I believe would be uh, under deliberation by many of the readers who have gone through your uh, this published perspective piece. So the question is, and the prelude to the question is that you have uh, mentioned that there are, uh, you have mentioned that uh, in Pakistan, foreign policy has ensued from the interplay of normative ideals in the elites and the masses and the national means at its and, and the national mean uh, at Pakistan's disposal. So is it reasonable to assume that there is a unanimity, there is a semblance, a congruence among the elites and masses on certain sets of belief? If we look at it from, from the perspective of a state that has not been able to consolidate its history in the past seven decades. so. Where does this congruence lie? Uh, so to begin with, uh, when we started, and I, I believe that this is an excellent question from you. And the reason is this, that while we were working on this uh, perspective paper, I think a very major 
chunk of our time and a very major chunk of the brainstorming that we did for the perspective paper that was uh, you know uh, that was attributed to this particular um, uh, this particular aspect uh, of pakistan's foreign policy where we uh, you know did debates and where we um, where i and rida you know we uh, uh, discussed this thing together uh, that to what kind of extent has these normative ideals of you know the elite and the masses to what extent they uh, to what extent they have played their role in uh, determining the foreign policy of pakistan now the interesting thing about this is that if we look at the normative ideals uh, theoretically and not particularly the normative ideals of uh, 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 the people of pakistan but uh, as a whole uh, theoretically ideology plays a very important role in any country's foreign policy ideology is something that has a very determining role uh, so uh, in particular when we studied uh, pakistan an interesting thing that we came up with was that ideology was very much there as a part and parcel of the foreign policy of pakistan but it was something which did not show up in every foreign policy issue in the same way so in there were certain foreign policy issues where foreign policy played a very key role and then there were some other issues where we saw foreign policy not uh, sorry ideology not playing that kind of role one example of this uh, maybe uh, can be uh, pakistan's foreign policy towards uh, usa during the non alignment uh, during the cold war and pakistan's foreign policy towards china so we see that pakistan's ideology it played a key role uh, in pakistan the normative inclinations of the people and the masses they played a key role while we had to while pakistan had to choose between the united states and the ussr but when it came to china uh, the ideology the same ideological inclinations that we had they were to quite an extent dormant in in the case of china so uh, two things which are important when we discuss the normative ideals number one the normative ideals are there and they do play a very important role but the way they play their role that is not the same in every case and that is not the, that is not same in every kind of foreign policy issue the second important thing is that in many cases now while we had this idea that the normative ideals were there playing their role but at the same time uh, uh, the idea was that there it was not necessary for a confluence of normative ideals to be there between the public opinion and uh, the organizational elites for instance if you see the foreign policy decision that we made when uh, when the uh, when pakistan had to participate in uh, uh, in fighting the soviets in afghanistan uh, uh, you know at that point the organizational elite and the masses they were to quite an extent their normative ideals were in confluence but the same after uh, but uh, you know following this when uh, overnight pakistan decided to uh, participate in usa's global war on terror at that point in time the organizational elite was there having a different uh, <clears throat> ideological inclination Uh, or uh, uh, the organizational elite have different normative ideals and if not normative ideals i would call them strategic interests and the overall the masses they were not in the favor of this policy that was that had uh, that was chosen or that was made and the policy was taking part in the us war on terror so ideology uh, has been there but not in every case 
there were instances when pakistan took some policy uh, options in which the uh, the public opinion was not very much in favor of the decision uh, global war on terror is one of that uh, that the public opinion uh, was very much against it the people whom you were considering as mujahideens and you know the, the people who were you know the uh, fighters from the state whom you respected a lot you had to convert them into uh, you know they became your enemies all of a sudden overnight so ideology is there in many cases it has played its role in many cases it has not been as much proactive and as as much pronounced in the foreign policy of pakistan but yes having said that we cannot uh, rule out this uh, factor that ideology was either uh, you know there completely or was not there uh, completely so it was there in some cases it was not there in some cases but yes uh, there was not necessarily a confluence between the normative ideals of the organizational elite and the uh, masses uh, at any given point of time quite interesting and uh, my first question uh, to uh, yes arida would you like to add something to this just a little bit of what mariam said if you'd allow me yes yes definitely uh because it's a really interesting question i would say like mariam said uh the the point that if is it reasonable to assume that there is is it there is there unanimity between the elites and the masses so i believe from this perspective that the pressure is uh, built up from the masses but to some extent and it's all on the political elites whether to listen to it or not like it happened in the during the soviet war and if we look into the future uh, foreign <laughs> policy decision uh, a very a very significant decision which is on the heads of our elites at the moment that is this is a question that whether we should recognize israel or not uh, it's a very heated debate and on this point i believe that as our nation and the masses we are uh, emotionally driven uh, because of our normative ideals we tend to unite on two points uh, number one is the is uh, is our unification on normative ideals that's where the nation and the elites are on the same uh, point and number two is if we have to uh, devise a policy or we have to react against india so uh, on the topic of the future policy uh, uh, which is to whether we will recognize israel or not i believe if situations like this are on hand then it's good to it's it's easier to assume and it's reasonable uh, reasonable to assume that yes the elites and masses they are on the same point but again the driving force behind this uh, public opinion and the elite uh, their perspective being on the same point the driving force behind is is our emotional uh, emotional emotionally driven uh, opinions about regarding our uh, beliefs this is where we unite i hope it makes sense over uh, time trying to say well it uh, indeed does make sense so basically uh, i think uh, your added perspective on uh, what mariam uh, elaborated earlier uh, quite uh, gives an impression about uh, the ideological underpinnings of pakistan's foreign policy orientation so uh, so coming to the next question now this is something which uh, 
I noticed was perhaps, uh, in my personal opinion, the crux of your perspective paper. And uh, you've written that uh, Pakistan's traditional security-centric diplomacy is gradually being superseded with economic diplomacy. And this is something which uh, the current uh, government in Pakistan, especially the special assistant to prime minister on national security has been trying to emphasize now and then. If we subtract the PR hype around the Look Africa and Engage Africa initiative, which is, has a very good trade factor into all of this, Islamabad appears to be fixated on issues involving Afghan peace process and Persian Gulf stability, Iran, Arab Gulf countries, and this and that. So how would you explain this predicament? So we talk about economic diplomacy, but it seems that these two are the major issues with which we are occupied. Right. It's an excellent question because I had fun time writing and exploring about how uh, even listening to Dr. Mead Yusuf's uh, interviews and his narrative on uh, how our diplomatic policy posture has uh, has changed uh, per se. He used the word shifted, but then he clarified that it's not, it, it is a shift and it's not a shift as well. How? Because uh, this is what we have been doing on ground that the pa Pakistan's foreign policy has been economic centric from day one. But this is sort of the, the, the declaration of the term economic diplomacy it is a declaration of our narrative internationally that from now onwards, the, the dominating focus of Pakistan's foreign policy would be economy centric. Previously, it was dominatingly uh, security centric, but now the shift has been towards uh, economy. So how I uh, perceived and then we collaborated and we uh, jot down on, uh, we were on the same point, both of us, that um, Although economy is the dominant feature of our foreign policy at the moment, but uh, but the but a very good change about this government is that it has taken all three aspects of foreign policy of a good foreign policy into account, which hasn't been done in the previous governments, in my opinion. That uh, strategic importance importance to security and uh, and economy uh, it has been. The triad has been collaborated and the foreign policy has been based on these three points. It's not like that only it's security centric it's, or it's only economic, um, economically driven motives of uh, foreign policy. So with that being said, uh, look, look Africa or engage Africa foreign policies, uh, uh, foreign policy initiatives, I believe that uh, it's very soon to say that they're only a PR hype because this is what the uh, this government's uh, you can say routine has been that they are taking baby steps in uh, in formulating in in recognizing new ventures and new areas and slowly steadily we see that they are thriving in their changed narrative and changed foreign policy posture so i would say that it's very soon to say that look Asia, uh, look, uh, look Africa and engage Africa uh, foreign policies and the bilateral uh, economic ties, they are just a uh, economic hype. So uh, allow me to interject. You were saying that uh, government is taking baby steps toward uh, its ambition of uh, promoting economic diplomacy. 
so would it be inappropriate to say that uh, they are perhaps facing a resistance or do you think that slow pace is because of uh, adopting a calibrated and precautious approach toward that factor sir so it's not about the uh, calibrated approach or is they they are not facing any resistance per se because just like i said that they have been doing this in the uh, previously as well that the foreign policy um and the diplomatic uh, ventures they have been economically driven but not very dominantly so it's not something new which is going on uh, on on ground right now but i was specifically talking about the uh, look africa and engage africa or policy that it has just begun uh, in the beginning of this year 2020 and it will take some time in uh, in ventures like uh, exploring africa to to prove actually some concrete changes in our economic ties on ground it's not like for example if we take relations with russia slowly and gradually we are increasing from our military uh, exchanges from our um, military ties to we are gradually moving towards the economic ties so that's what i'm seeing that this is sort of a sort of a trend uh the the current government is following with okay. with the countries which we haven't explored before so they are sort of being not conscious cautious or restraining themselves because of some external uh factors but they are but i think they are taking it slow pretty much of what rida has already said i think uh while pakistan has uh, you know embarked upon the strategy uh impact upon this policy that it has to uh you know improve uh, or establish its footprint across uh, regional countries because when we listen to the uh, policy makers in specific if i talk about the national security advisor current uh, national security advisor mohit yusuf uh at the moment regional uh, integration and engagement on regional level is very much a part and parcel of pakistan's foreign policy but the uh, but the important underpinning of this is that this is something which is new and that is something which we have discussed in the foreign policy in our paper as well that this is something which is being experienced after uh, the pti government has uh, you know taken up uh, the realms of the country uh, the reins of the country so okay. uh, to quite an extent uh, the uh, to quite an extent while the uh, pakistani government has said that it would start on with its engagement with countries with african countries with east asian countries the reason why we are lacking that pace is because it has just it is because the process has just started so if we talk about india india had probably uh, probably started engaging with african countries uh, uh, quite some time ago in case of uh, you know east asian countries india has already india already has its uh, policy of engaging with east asian countries with um, other asian uh, countries but for pakistan this is a, a, this is something which it has taken up uh, quite lately and quite recently so probably the pace that we lack at the moment is because of the reason that this is something which have which we have just started off with Uh, the pace of it might uh, you know increase uh, 
uh, with the passage of time, uh, again, that depends on the kind of political system that uh, our country, uh, you know, uh, that that prevails in our country, the kind of political party that uh, comes in the next uh, few years. Again, the foreign policy pretty much depends on that. But still, if we have to, uh, you know, if, if we have to, uh, going forward, if uh, we want to gauge that how much of engagement, uh, you know, uh, Pakistan would have with other regional countries, that is certainly, um, you know, uh, that is certainly to stand the test of time. And that is something which you would get to know with the passage of time. Interesting, interesting. Uh, so if you'll allow me, I'll just comment on the last part of the question. Uh, yes, please. Like, like you said, that Islamabad remains fixated on the issues of Afghan peace process and the Persian Gulf stability. On that note, I would say that there is an underlining to both the economic diplomacy as well as to uh, to carry out the security-centric diplomacy as well. Why? Because both of these regions, both of these uh, regions and states, and they are important for Pakistan's economic diplomacy regarding CPEC, that's to have stability in Afghanistan, and at the same time to engage uh, to to have better relations with the Persian Gulf and to engage Iran as well to be a part of this economic venture. So, in order to create a quad in future, which will be very beneficial for Pakistan and uh, its foreign policy and its economic diplomacy as well, to have China, Afghanistan, and Iran and Pakistan, all of them uh, on the same page regarding uh, BRI, and, BRI on a whole and uh, CPEC. So uh, these two issues, the Afghan peace process and uh, the stability in the Persian Gulf, they remain to be very important for Pakistan, and it remains to uh, it remains for Pakistan to have a closer look uh, in these two regions because of their economic diplomacy as well, and to have a regional stability overall as well. Okay. So, uh, it is noted in this perspective paper that uh, on the issue of our ideology, uh, it is written that the era of Islamized foreign policy seems to be in departure. So, uh, I'm confused about, it, about this. And I'm sure uh, most of the people who have gone through this piece, they would be feeling the same as well. Now, having had discussions with you, I, I know the motivations that uh, compelled you to uh, pin down this observation. But for the consumption of those who are watching this video and who have gone through your perspective paper, let me uh, ask you, doesn't Prime Minister Imran Khan's repeated mentioning of Pakistan as a Muslim welfare state suggest that the role of religion in matters of statecraft has increased rather than a decrease that you think has happened? That's a very pertinent question. Uh, exactly, sir. This is an excellent question. And as Satalha knows that uh, on this point, we debated a lot on that the the, the Islamized foreign policy era, it seems to be in departure. But at the same time, uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan on international forums is giving out symbolic, uh, symbolic representation of this reminder that 
ideology will never be out of the question in formulating dom uh, domestic as well as the foreign policies. How he mentions the uh, continuously the point of Muslim welfare state, he has also mentioned it in his uh, UNGA, recent UNGA speech as well, that he wants to build Pakistan into a Muslim welfare state. This is a constant, uh, these reminders, these constant reminders are there because we uh, as a state, we don't want the internationally to the international community to see us that we are departing from the from the ideal factor of our foreign policy, but we want to change that narrative. That from the extremist, uh, how we are perceived as an extremist Islamized state, we want to change that uh, change that narrative into a balanced state which is built on the basis of Islamized ideology. But at the same time, we are not extremists. If I may ask you, Rida, so basically, if uh, what you're trying to say is that uh, Islamabad uh, should shift from being an Islamic state to a Muslim state. Is that what you are saying? Exactly, There's a big difference, sir. obviously. Exactly. That we are perceived internationally as an Islamized state. That that's why the Islamophobia and our uh, and our uh, perception internationally is very negative. So in order to counter that negative perception internationally, this government is is taking very is, is taking good initiatives and their uh, main priority is to change that international negative narrative of Pakistan and to change it into a Muslim welfare, Muslim state, but which is not an extremist state. Uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, I would just like uh, to uh, ask one additional sub question to Rida on this. Uh, Rida, I won't go, um, take any names, but uh, we are aware that recently a very known radical uh, organization in Pakistan has been carrying out, uh, a, a, you know, national level uh, resistance against, uh, not resistance, well, they're trying to challenge the rate of the state. Uh, so. Uh, how far do you think has that uh, uh, complemented or uh, discounted the Prime Minister's efforts to remove that misperception of Pakistan being an Islamized state? That's Just a very quick take on this. Yes, very quick yes. take on this. So as uh, if, we, if we take into account FATF and our efforts in, uh, in, re in rejecting that uh, aspect that we are not a uh, state which is sponsoring terrorism, we are facing a lot of challenges. And that particular incident which happened, it is a part of that challenge as well. That although our efforts are in the right direction, but still the challenges remains in uh, in order uh, in, in the shape of uh, groups and elements like these, the government and the establishment is is facing challenges and uh, they, they will be in the future, but they are trying their best uh, I believe to counter them. Need and uh, Mariam, would you like to add something on this? Uh, so there are two things that I would want to add on this. Is uh, number one, when we talked about this, uh, you know, assertion that the era of an Islamized foreign policy is on departure. What we meant by that was essentially the fact that Pakistan's uh, identity of being an uh, a Muslim majority state 
that is not something which uh, is going to determine Pakistan's foreign policy with any state. And this has happened in the in the past. So you know, uh, there are countless instances where we can you know uh, say that the Muslim identity of uh, the the Muslim majority identity of the of Pakistan was invoked you know to uh, pursue a particular foreign policy option. So one thing uh, which we meant was this that the this particular uh, uh, this particular factor that Pakistan is a Muslim majority state that uh, uh, that sentiment would not be invoked while we are um, uh, while we would be uh, you know pursuing our foreign policy then be it the Middle Eastern countries or be it Afghanistan or uh, be it any other state the 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 thing the factors that would you know determine our foreign policy that would be our geoeconomic interests uh, second thing uh, which i would uh, say about this is that when we talk about islamic welfare state number one uh, when uh, you know the uh, the prime minister talked about an islamic welfare state i think that is a huge assertion uh, you know, you cannot in current nation state system, I do not think that you can come up with a nation, uh, with a political system that, uh, you know, that is well suited uh, and that has this tint of the state of Medina that we had at that point. So number one, while the state says that it wants to follow a model of Islamic welfare state, uh, I think that is a very ambitious policy goal and that might not practically manifest itself into something uh, achievable. And uh, uh, with regards to the, the, the uh, with regards to the uh, you know the thing that you said about this one particular uh, you know religious organization, I think uh, yes that is a huge ta challenge to the foreign policy of Pakistan and to the domestic politics of Pakistan as well because if we you know uh, if, if we try to do an analysis of the uh, last general election. Uh, this one particular party, it had a huge vote bank. So, of course, uh, while we say that, uh, you know, uh, we are moving away from that Islamized foreign policy, again, the, uh, you know, one thing that I said earlier uh, while replying to the first question, that this is something uh, that would stand the test of time. When we see, uh, you know, political organizations, uh, you know, which have this religious tint to it, getting so much popular in, in, in Pakistan, getting so much relevant to the political, to the politics of the country, I think it is very difficult to say that in future as well we would be able to uh, pursue a foreign policy that is not Islamized in uh, in its nature. Uh, why, and why I asked this question. Uh, uh, and I asked this question of this particular religious organization because their core demand was basically exactly. to disrupt relations with a particular country. So obviously they are exactly. trying to influence uh, foreign policy. Exactly. So uh, for, while the current government and the idea which we were pursuing in the perspective paper as well was that the current government, it has this objective that its foreign policy, uh, uh, foreign policy would not be, uh, you know, devised by certain ideological inclinations. And it might, you know, try to do that. And currently, if we see a foreign policy towards the Middle Eastern countries, uh, uh, you know, it, it quite uh, clearly manifested that our ideological inclinations or our uh, state of being Muslims, a uh, Muslim state, that was not determining pretty much our relations with you know the Middle Eastern countries. But yes, there is an increasing challenge of uh, the fact that these uh, political, uh, sorry, religious inclinations they might come at the crossroads with Pakistan's foreign policy in coming few years. At the risk of uh, asking another question, and uh, this builds upon Talha's very comprehensive question, which uh, has touched a very uh, important note for me at least. I would like to ask the both of you, whichever one of you would like to respond, 
that um, when we talk about that particular religious organization which try to disrupt relations with a particular country uh, what i read on the media was that uh, the government had actually acceded to their demand of uh, summoning uh, the french ambassador and trying to ask them that uh, they should uh, expel him from the country so it seems that uh, the current uh, incumbent government has actually ceded to the demand of uh, a party which uh, does not have any prior governmental experience so uh, do you really think that uh, what they are saying and what they are trying to achieve is at, at very odds with each other Uh, so you see, when we talk about this uh, one particular aspect of Pakistan's foreign policy at the moment, that is uh, that we, you know, say that the Islamized era of the foreign policy is not very much there. It is, it seems to be in departure. uh in that case there are certain foreign policy decisions that have been made that did not have that particular you know ideological tint to it for instance when we talk about pakistan's current foreign policy towards uh, the middle eastern countries for uh, again uh, when the pti government it took uh, it came to power saudi arabia you know we the kind of relations that we had with saudi arabia they had an underpinning of ideological definitely but on the issue of kashmir the foreign minister of pakistan it was he was very much clear about you know and there was this one statement with, uh, by him in which he was very assertive of how he and of how pakistan plans to you know uh, go forward with its relations with the middle east uh, with the uh, middle eastern countries so uh, while there is this aspect in the foreign policy that we are uh, you know uh, trying to uh, pakistan is trying to take up foreign policy decisions that do not have an uh, islamist or an uh, an ideological tint to it there are certainly incidents that have taken place in very uh, you know approximate uh, history approximate past and you know uh, with reference to that particular uh, uprising that took place a few uh, days ago i would say there are challenges of course so that is uh, you know that this uh, particular uh, religious organization which has huge um, i would say political support with it this is definitely a huge challenge for uh, the state of pakistan while it is you know trying to pursue a foreign policy that is based on geo economic interests rather than um, rather than you know ideologically inclined policies So I'll add one yes, Rida. Yes, please. Uh, I would say that if we if we talk previously and historically, we see that these incidences they have happened in the past as well. So if it were to say that the somehow the Islamized era is has not uh, uh, left us and it's on it's not in the past. it's not completely true but it could be taken in this specific uh, incident which you're talking about that maybe uh, the the the, uh, the demands of this group were to be uh, fulfilled by the government maybe they were to be fulfilled so uh, maybe they're just trying to make sure that ideology remains a part of our domestic as well as our foreign policy and that we do not just we do not on the face of it just show that uh, yes we are a muslim state yes we are very true to our ideology and our religion we actually represent on international forum which the government was uh, 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 pressured to and that's why our foreign minister actually made a mistake uh, while saying will call back our ambassador from france 
whereas at the, at the moment we didn't even have a diplomatic uh, uh, we didn't have uh, an ambassador in france so we made a mistake Indeed. but you know in un under pressure by saying uh, remaining true to the fact to our nation the elite had to say in order to uh, pacify them that yes ideology is and will remain um, the part of it so you don't have to get that much um engraved and worked up on it so it was somehow to uh, ease up the masses as well and to clarify to the international community that yes we are um uh, we are on the uh, the era has changed but ideology still remains there so uh, okay and so let's um, uh, talha i'd like to uh, would you like to add something to this or can i move on to my next question okay before you move on to your next question uh, let me harken back to the line one particular line that they have employed uh, in this piece and uh, that line is that islam will remain an underlying feature if not the dominant feature of pakistan's foreign policy uh, maryam would you like to comment on that um uh, so uh, you see uh, again uh, while we uh, talk about this islamized era of foreign policy in departure again this is the public opinion the mass uh, mass mass uh, the, the, the opinion of the masses that exists here uh, foreign policy can never be foregone and i do not think that this is something particular to pakistan alone any country no matter where you know it is located on the map of the world it has a particular ideology no matter what kind of ideology it is it might be religious or uh, you know political uh, economic they uh, you know ideology is something that you cannot you know uh, walk away from so ideology is there it might have a role that would be a little dormant in its nature but at any point i do not think that we can simply walk away from ideology so the idea was this that while pakistan while the state of pakistan it continues to ascribe to the ideology of pakistan the way it approaches to that foreign uh, the way it approaches to that ideology that has essentially changed in its nature okay that that that, that clarifies a lot of things and i think that's a very uh, pertinent uh, point you have made over here that uh, the way in which that uh, has manifested itself has changed and so now i i think let's uh, shift from ideology towards some more technical issues which are related to the subject of your paper and that is i'm going to talk about the structural element of foreign policy and when we talk about that uh, aspect we are obviously talking about institutional structures and uh, as uh, you might be aware and you have been following definitely that since early 2019 india's ministry of external affairs which is the equivalent of our foreign office it uh, underwent restructuring and it has gradually adapted itself with changing geostrategic interests uh, we have east african island countries comoros madagascar french reunion they were added to the uh, the indian ocean region division the ior division was expanded basically so before they were in africa and um, Uh, in uh, the south indian ocean and now they are part of the overall ior and we have a new indo pacific division which has also been added by new delhi now in contrast uh, despite pakistan we see that gwadar is being touted and uh, routinely uh, projected as the hub and spoke connecting the belt and road with the maritime silk route and the talk about cpec um 
uh, it seems that pakistan's foreign office continues to follow their traditional path it it has not carried out any structuring it has not revised its organogram so don't you think that the lack of interest in structural adaptability it actually indicates a lack of vision and maintenance of the status quo uh say so if we talk about uh, in particular la- about lack of vision i would say that let's you know as an example let's compare the structural changes that are taking place in india not in particular uh, you know in the past few years but overall if we talk about uh, you know the reorganization that you said uh, i think there are two developments that are currently taking place in india which are very important uh which have uh, you know which have put india on a very positive trajectory in terms of its uh, you know policy making uh, but it is also very important because pakistan needs to gear up with them uh, number one is the uh, the you know transformation that their ministry of external affairs is uh, you know undergoing and number two is the transformation or the organizational uh, you know or the change in the structure in the organizational structure of their armed forces so there are these Indeed. two things yeah so the, i would actually you know uh, while you uh, have men- mentioned about the ministry of external affairs i would talk about both of them because i think both of these the defense uh, also basically you're looking at them together yeah because i believe uh, if if we could have a discussion over this that you know your economic your military progress is also a part of your uh, foreign policy and how you translate your objectives uh, foreign policy objectives into tangible goals so uh, military is a part of that and if we talk about india india has certainly uh, you know attached a lot of importance and significance to both of these aspects uh, if we in particular talk about uh, the maritime culture that india is you know uh, i would say investing a lot in or if we talk about the military uh, structure both of these they are very important they have taken place now if i talk about um, uh, you know pakistan i would say that again because this is the first step that we have taken in terms of our foreign policy uh, i think uh, we are uh, a little too late and what we are doing at the moment is a little too less while but uh, uh, allow me to interject uh, allow me to interject please because i want to i deliberately uh, did not mention the military aspect the theaterization and all of that because i wanted to limit myself to the scope of your paper which focuses exclusively on foreign policy so uh, i would like to ask you again because uh, again you have actually acknowledged the fact that yes um, as far as institution building is concerned uh, new delhi appears to be taking the lead but again we are uh, well into 3 years of this current government in place and there was a lot of uh, hype and there was a lot of uh, uh, charisma going on that there is going to be a revolution in the way we manage our systems uh, and one of the important things which uh, i think you also mentioned in your paper was that uh, our foreign minister mr shah mehmood qureshi uh, he uh, when the government came to power he assured that his um, ministry the uh, civilians will lead uh, policy making so we don't see those structural changes taking place we don't see those big steps taking place how much of a hindrance do you think does that not indicate lack of vision again i think that question is really important that that certainly does indicate a lack of vision of course uh, you see wh- how i see it is 
that uh, since you know the in in particular if i talk about india since the bjp government it came into power uh, its foreign policy it revamped to quite an extent and at the moment when we talk about india uh, in important domain uh, an important contour of india's foreign policy is that it seeks to establish a footprint that is pretty much global in nature you know but when yes. we talk about pakistan and when we talk about the foreign policy objectives that pakistan is currently pursuing all you know the the, the buzz is around regional integration regional engagements involvement in the region and stuff like that so because of the fact that probably we are not looking at things in the longer run uh, we are lacking in terms of what we are doing as well uh, you know it's not only about uh, the african states and again i would say that we we you know the current government talked about its uh, african policy then the uh, you know policy towards the east asian states and uh, being a part of cpec i think it is uh, it couldn't be more pertinent for pakistan at the moment to be very much proactive regionally across different regions across africa across um, you know uh, southeast asian uh, countries but we do not see that happening and the reason is this uh, that uh, and and you know what i i believe that this might happen in a few time and the reason is this that probably this is if not the first time then it is probably you know uh, uh, it has happened very uh, for, very uh, it has not really happened in the past that we have we actually have research based uh, analysis and informed analysis on the issues of foreign policy uh we have uh, again we are doing the research we have uh, you know academ uh, uh, the uh, we have academicians working on the foreign policy at the moment but again it is a little too less and a little too late uh things need to be worked out and that's something which we uh, talked in our perspective paper as well that you know the foreign office it is trying to revamp itself there are uh, you know <clears throat> this, uh, there are these steps being taken in positive direction but there is a long way to go and uh, forging appropriate ties uh, geo economic as well as geo strategic ties with uh, you know uh, these countries african countries southeast asian countries and i remember uh, having read your perspective uh, paper uh, you know which emphasized on the importance of the east african countries and uh, in which in that paper you know it was very interesting for me to uh, you know to uh, you know uh, get to know that pakistan has very limited diplomatic footprint in africa now that is something where we lack and uh, that is certainly uh, you know uh, right of you saying that this is a lack of uh, vision and this is uh, you know perusal of uh, status quo that we are experiencing uh, so yes uh, so you believe that, that uh, so a quick question again just uh, in furtherance <laughs> to your recent comments you believe that uh, a change in a political government uh, might actually Uh, discourage the little effort that has been made thus far in trying to build an academic approach or do you think that the system itself is now in a position that it will build upon that no, irrespective of whichever government comes to power in the federation uh you see uh, if uh, if if we talk about you know the conditions in which the system is at the moment i do not think that this is something which is unprecedented the country was in the same position when there was the previous government in power right cpec was there everyone uh, was there of uh, the the transformation in the regional environment the the transformation on the international uh, stage but uh, if i do not talk about international environment certainly pakistan kept a hush over whatever was happening in our regional environment specifically about india 
so when we talk about the positive aspects of the foreign policy of pakistan's foreign policy i think the current government has to be uh, you know acknowledged for its efforts uh, because this is certainly uh, you know uh, an initiative by the current government we were in the same conditions in the previous governments we didn't see anything happening again uh, as you said as you after said, you know the political landscape of the country changes you know what would be the tra tra trajectory uh, i am not really sure that it would be uh, very much uh, rosy uh, I, i would again this is not you know I, i would try to talk about the foreign policy being an unbiased person it's not you know any political inclinations uh, coming into play when talking about the uh because again when we talk about the domestic policies by the uh, government uh, the current government they can be fairly debated but in terms of the foreign policy there are certain initiatives that need to be acknowledged one among them is uh, you know the incorporation of uh, research based informed analysis when it comes to the issue of foreign issues of foreign policy and in the next few years uh, all that we can do is that we can hope to see uh, you know more structural changes i hope that uh, you know the recent paper that you wrote on uh, on the importance of east african asia east uh, african countries and about the pertinence of uh, you know these states and how we lack uh, you know uh, strategic uh, depth in terms of the, you know our bilateral uh, ties with these states i hope we are able to generate some discourse about this which is very pertinent i believe and so uh, rida if i may ask you the same uh, if i may solicit your comments on the same uh, first of all uh, please answer that uh, do you agree with this notion which is my personal notion and it is debatable that there is a lack of vision when it comes to systemic adaptability and secondly do you share uh, mariam's optimism when she uh, talks about academia trying to gradually the academics trying to gradually influence policy making so if i start from mariam's point of view that academia is uh, gradually trying to change uh, that's true because uh, we have seen that uh, the addition of Dr. Mohit Yusuf in uh, in PM's very close circle, in advi advisor to PM's very close circle, it has given the uh, enlarged academic circle a very positive uh, thumbs up. That keep on your efforts and uh, maybe, like we have written this paper and we have hopes that our efforts were very high in the recommendations sec uh, section. because we wanted the recommendation section of the paper to be very comprehensive brief and to the point that it actually can in, can be incorporated in the uh, by the policy makers while making the policies so you know we uh, the, the positivity and the optimism is there it it has always been there and it will be there as you are working in the field um on the point that you made that uh, the about the structural adaptability and um, we're lacking in it and uh, the lack of vision and maybe we are maintaining the status quo i have uh, i have a very uh, my personal opinion on this is that one thing which we are lacking at the moment it, it it might be true it's again debatable what we're lacking is vision and it's our own personal independent vision the independent vision of the ministry of foreign affairs the independent vision of the government of pakistan how uh, if you may ask the answer is that we are again yes. under the 
uh, dependent driving force of another major power that china is somehow driving pakistan's foreign policy directly or indirectly in this way to make pakistan as a model to follow by other countries which will become a part of bri uh, that how we are maintaining pakistan and how we are maintaining pakistan's foreign uh, pakistan's policy this is how the other countries should follow in the future as well if they want to become a part of bri this is my personal opinion and that's why pakistan is indebted to men, uh, to um, better the relationships uh, with the uh, within the persian gulf with afghanistan with the country with the african countries which pakistan was very uh, was not very keen to uh, dive into so how come this change happened very suddenly very ab abruptly within this government what sort of vision this government has brought in that we are exploring the african region this is a question again that uh, something has changed and uh, if we were to uh, applaud our own government and our own um, foreign affairs ministry but at the same time there seems to be an external uh, influence as well that something externally driven is uh, driving our policies so that's how i will uh, answer this question that yes we are maintaining the status quo and we are lacking an independent uh, vision which will happen if we will be uh, domestically and economically independent and all of these negative uh, aspects of ftf and imf will be reduced in the future that's a very interesting point talha i'm sure you would agree that um rida and mariam both have made this point that they acknowledge that there is a problem when it comes to structural adaptability and uh, evolution but uh, i think rida uh, substantiates it to the extent by saying that the economic hindrances uh, we are facing are not actually conducive enough to enable those changes and act as a catalyst for it what would you say on that talha i i'm looking forward to your comments on this I think there are some systemic constraints that have uh, kept us back from uh, making strides in some domains where we should have, uh, where we should have, uh, where we should have focused on long time back. Uh, I was listening quite intently to your comments, the comments made by uh, Maryam and Radha. I think the vision is there. if we look at this government uh, they have uh, uh, initiated certain things that i found very interesting although uh, i may not agree with the uh, with the contours i believe some of them have been rehashed and rebranded uh, the idea of digital diplomacy uh, i think more can be done uh then they have uh, started uh, projecting the scientific achievements of pakistan they made this mm -hmm. division in of indeed uh, uh then there is this there is this talk uh, about uh, how the expatriates need to be uh, applauded for their contributions to uh, pakistan so these are some interesting things and and then we we also observed that uh, 
this idea is again being revived as being put under consideration that we need to engage with East Asia. Uh, there is this buzz being generated around uh, uh, the need to engage with the African continent. So I think that there is, uh, there is this desire to do more uh, and, this, and that desire stems uh, from uh, the vision that is there, hmm. but there is a serious lack of competence and uh, and there are certain systemic constraints as well, uh, like this lack of com competence, you talked about economic resources. So these are the, these are the issues that need to be resolved and uh, that optimism can this optimism cannot be uh, done away with uh, it will always stay so that's all from my side obviously it's uh, optimism is what uh, uh, keeps uh, policy makers and uh, thinkers on their foot and eventually uh, if not now then tomorrow uh, if uh, writers like uh, Mariam, Rida or other researchers, when they try to propose their novel ideas, then eventually a time will come when the state and the system itself will have to accept that it is time to change and move on. I read in your paper, and this is not just your paper, my observation uh, reflects uh, similar findings in uh, papers by other young scholars and seniors alike that whenever we want to evaluate or try to understand uh, the performance of Pakistan on the foreign policy front, we uh, cite Jammu and Kashmir as the core determinant of success. Hmm. So, when, uh, uh, for example, when we talk about Shanghai Cooperation Organization, Association of Southeast Asian Nations, these particular regional groupings, they serve a larger purpose. SCO serves a larger collective shared interests of Eurasia, which are beyond Park India bilateral tussles or China India bilateral tussles. Similarly, the case of ASEAN. So, in, in your view, and this is what uh, uh, I want to ask you don't you think that uh, this continued obsession with uh, India, whether it is Kashmir or some other issue going on, uh, accusations of money laundering or supporting terrorism, etc. Don't you think that obsession with India is, continues to dominate our external engagements? Why don't we move? Why don't we evaluate or discuss these performance, the performance of Islamabad on other issues? Like, for example, if how trade is faring with countries like Malaysia, how uh, whether or not Pakistan has participated in uh, SCO drills. And mind you, let me just give you one example that uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization held several exercises, including urban uh, uh, rescue, a disaster relief and cyber in which Pakistan did not take part simply because uh, India was hosting it. So, how, how, what would you comment on that? I know this is a detailed question, but I want your comments on this. This obsession with India. Shall I go first? Yes, Rida. Uh, so it's a very good question because uh, recently enough I heard the, uh, on a webinar I heard the same question which was regarding Pakistan's obsession towards USA and why our foreign policy is uh, majority, majorly uh, 
based on our relations with us so it's again uh, the same dilemma in the region that um our most of our policies historically even if we see they are india centric and india based and we have this it it won't be fair to call it an excuse but it is uh, somehow become a redundant um reason that we are building an atomic bomb why in order to counter india why is that in only in order to counter india if we see historically yes it was needed at that moment but now we need to move on we need to expand uh and coming back to your question that uh why our sole success is based on the performance of jammu and kashmir i believe that now the scenario has changed uh, for example since last year after the revocation of article 370 and the, all of the entire that incident uh it's a high time it's a high time that when our horizontal diplomatic outreach it is expanding we are maintaining we are expanding relations and diplomatic ties with very different countries and we are gaining somehow sympathies uh regarding kashmir on international forums a few countries are, are taking initiative to talk about kashmir um needless to say that oic has not paid that much heed to it as much as we wanted uh, to, uh, to uh, oic to talk about it but at the same time because internally somehow we have a political stability for the first time in history because of our establishment and the government both are on the same page while formulating the foreign policies and therefore our agenda and our narrative internationally is seeming to be credible more credible and more legitimate and more unified uh, front is given on international forums therefore it's the right time to talk about kashmir more but the sole uh, uh, if we talk about um, how our academia they uh, they study that the success of our foreign policy is solely based on how kashmir uh is taken up we need to move on from that as well uh, as a young scholar and as a young researcher i i i think i would say for majority of us that this discourse is being very redundant that majority of our uh, papers and our even different topics they somehow bring the topic back to kashmir and back to the basics uh, the redundant basics and we don't move on from that there's nothing going practically on We're just discussing that yes this should be done in the recommendations but why something is not being done very really, uh, 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 on 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 the ground and there's just talk therefore although at the same time it, the talk is getting redundant and redundant but at the same time it's it is a high point for us to talk about it more internationally there is an irony but i believe that um, this is how i see it and i asked this question because uh, uh, mariam i want your comments on this as well but i would like to add another element to it because uh, to give you an example kashmir the occupation of kashmir by uh, indian military and its uh, regime its fascist regime over there it is no doubt an issue of concern not just for us in pakistan but for the muslim community at large as well there is no doubt about it but the question then remains that you see when we talk about afghanistan see the afghan peace process for the us which is one of the biggest stakeholders 
external stakeholders in Afghanistan. For them, Afghan peace process is one part of their concerns. They're also focused ultimately on China as well, on, uh, for example, Turkey, on NATO, or uh, other issues. And even when we talk about India, I mean, they have that problem. They continue to amplify this rhetoric that Pakistan is allegedly, you know, sending uh, cross-border terrorists and, you know, they're trying to change the demographics of uh, occupied Jammu and Kashmir. But recently, the Indian Foreign Secretary, he is also, even uh, the National Security Advisor, Ajit Doval, both of them, they visited Indian Ocean countries, Nepal, Bhutan, and they're trying to prioritize relations. So they're keeping a balance in things. They're not trying to, you know, get overly fixated. Again, I, uh, that word seems to be overused over here. But that fixation on one particular issue as the bedrock of an entire country's foreign policy, don't you think that that is something that should not, you know, be the only determinant of success in our foreign policy posturing? Uh, well, to answer to that question, uh, you see, um, and here I might, uh, you know, to, to some extent, I might disagree with, uh, you know, with what Rida said. Uh, you see, how I see it is, uh, first and foremost, you cannot operate uh, your foreign policy without the, you know, uh, without the geopolitical boundaries that you are subjected to. So Pakistan has historically had this obsession with the uh, with with India, and it was not particularly about the issue of Jammu and Kashmir. It was again, a, a, you know, a, a security issue uh, in itself, a huge security issue in itself. So yes, indeed, Pakistan has remained very much centric. Pakistan's foreign policy has remained very much centric to India. And I would say, even if, you know, ignoring the India factor, I'm, uh, uh, you know, Pakistan's foreign policy, you know, ignoring that India factor, it has even then remained very much, you know, uh, unidirectional. So we had relations, good relations with China, uh, with, uh, with some kind of relation, uh, partnership with United States some kind of, uh, you know, interaction with the Middle Eastern states, and that's it. So uh, that is, I think, one reason why, uh, the reason that when we talk about the foreign policy of Pakistan, in terms of the success uh, that it has, in terms of its success, uh, successfulness, I think that is the reason why the issue of Kashmir or the issue of India, you know, forms the basis of that analysis. Now, uh, you see how I see it, uh, this obsession with India, this is not a one-way traffic. If if Pakistan, if the state of Pakistan is obsessed with its, uh, you know, is obsessed uh, with whatever is taking place in India, I think it is, uh, you know, it happens uh, the other way around as well. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, uh, issues like, uh, you know, foreign policy, uh, theoretically, uh, even practically, foreign policy does not really become a co-determinant of, you know, uh, your political, um, uh, co-determinant of your electoral uh, victories and electoral failures. But this True. is something which we see happening in India. So, uh, again, I agree that there is this, um, you know, a debate and there is this discourse within the Western uh, Western um, researchers within India as well that Pakistan is very much obsessed with India. But, you know, the, the underlying uh, aspect of this is that if we are obsessed, India is equally obsessed. Now, uh, 
talking about the foreign policy that India is pursuing with reference to the other countries. Now, that is something which we are seeing and which is a reality that India is expanding its relations with uh, African states, with the United States, with, uh, you know, the East Asian states. Indian Ocean countries. Exactly. So, so that that is uh, something which is a given, which is true. Uh, but here, I believe that while India is expanding its relations with other countries, that one obsession with Pakistan remains there. That is very much a part of their foreign policy. Uh, even if I may ask, if I may ask you this uh, an, a sub question to uh, the answer you have just given, the comments which you have shared. Uh, yes, it is true that uh, India is likewise as much obsessed with Pakistan as uh, we are with them. But uh, my uh, the the point I'm trying to make it that it is not just Pakistan. You see, yes, they have they are you know obsessed with trying to hyphenate Pakistan <laughs> with terrorism now and then repeatedly whenever we talk about. Jammu, occupied Jammu and Kashmir, they automatically hyphenate Pakistan and say okay, this is the state sponsor of terror. I'm just talking about the overall picture because when you look at um, press statements coming out of uh, their bilateral or multilateral interactions with other countries, I think you would rarely find a mention of Pakistan unless it has something to do with Kashmir or an issue which relates to the Muslim uh, domestic population going on over there. Whereas in, if, uh, this is my personal observation, you are free to disagree with it. When we, whenever we are commenting on uh, any diplomatic reaction, it is mostly around India and we don't seem to be getting out of that orbit and, you know, looking at other places as well. I think the credit must go that uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan issue has, you know, somehow uh, diverted the attention. Tala will, will agree with what I'm saying from the usual talk about the usual press statements with the same copy paste going on. So uh, again, I agree with you that yes, India is also equally obsessed with Pakistan, but that that obsession is not the only obsession. They're also obsessed with China, trying to counter China. They're obsessed with Nepal. And from what we are hearing in the press, the, the Prime Minister uh, KP Sharma Oli is uh, maybe expected to resign. Uh, the raw chief went over there and they're trying to successfully uh, inculcate a regime change over there. So why is it that we are, uh, you know, not, uh, why are we so focused on that? Uh, you see, I feel that, uh, of course, we are focused towards India, but at the same time, and this is something which we discussed in our perspective paper as well, that at the same time, Pakistan is also looking forward to expand, you know, horizontally expand its, its relations with other countries. And uh, that might be at the moment very much uh, pronounced, you know, uh, in terms of discourse, not very, not very much practical, uh, 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 not something which has uh, practically manifested, on, manifested itself on ground. That's true. Uh, I think the reason is this, that historically Pakistan has had this focus on Kashmir, on India, on Afghanistan, and we have not looked outside those geographical boundaries and those challenges that we face due to, uh, due to those uh, geopolitical, uh, you know, uh, uh, contingencies and limitations. But again, I feel that because India embarked upon that process a little, uh, I would say quite earlier than Pakistan, that is why we are seeing those things practically happening on ground. 
Pakistan, on the contrary, has you know practically developed this understanding that Pakistan has to move on. I would not say move on. Pakistan cannot move on from the issue of India. Pakistan has to be even more, you know uh, keeping in view the current geopolitical scenario in India in Afghanistan. I feel that Pakistan has to be even more fixated on the issue of India. But at the same time, Pakistan has to certainly it has to expand its relations with other countries. Uh, Pakistan has, I, I would say, as a first, Pakistan has at least at least developed this understanding that you know we have to engage with other countries as well. How long, <clears throat> sorry, how long it might take, you know, to practically manifest itself? That again depends on the economic resources, on the uh, I would say human resources on the amount and the quantity and quality of research analysis that is you know attached to this issue and amount and the you know extent of political will uh, that you know remains there we might so uh, you know we might see things going into a positive direction in future at the moment we do not see them and the reason is this that we have started a little uh, late uh, we have you know taken up this uh, path very late so that's the reason I feel that this is not practically manifesting itself. Well, on that note, um, I would just like to say, wrapping it up, that uh, for some of our viewers and especially uh, also our listeners, which form a larger base on our audio podcast, they might say that uh, this optimism expressed by these young researchers in their perspective paper could be misplaced. but. I would like to say that instead of perceiving it as misplaced optimism, it is rather an indication that there is a fresh wave of uh, new thinking in Pakistan's uh, strategic research community and the policy advice and recommendations which I mentioned in uh, Rida Anwar and Mariam Rashid's paper, it actually points to a shift in the conventional means of thinking which have so far dominated uh, policy discourse in Islamabad. And uh, rather than trying to uh, expand beyond the limited resources which we have, a careful reading of this perspective paper will enlighten the audience that there is the need felt to move beyond the traditional paradigm and into a domain in which new thinking forms the core or, and what uh, Rida and Mariam both have repeatedly stressed that the academic-led policy input, if that is sustained, if that momentum is stained, sustained, then we can expect some sort of a systemic uh, evolution to take place. Otherwise, if we revert back to the old era in which uh, politics and short-term visions instead of informed discussions, guided policy making, that would obviously undo the little sort of progress that uh, we are witnessing so far. So before uh, I bid farewell to our guests, uh, Talha and I, I would like to inform the audience that you can uh, access Rida and Mariam's perspective paper by clicking on the link on the description of the YouTube video. And you are also most welcome to uh, share your feedback with them on Twitter. Rida and Mariam, it was a pleasure to have you and to hear from you. Uh, your thoughts were very interesting, especially your perspectives uh, in defense of your paper. Uh, we may disagree on certain points, but I think uh, I'm sure my colleague Talha will agree that the uh, arguments you've put in defense have given us considerable food for thought beyond 
that mentioned in your paper. Talha? I would like to echo my gratitude uh, to both of you. Uh, I uh, shared the same thoughts as Zaki's. And uh, it was uh, really, it was really good seeing you both defending uh, the arguments that you have made uh, in your perspective paper. So uh, keep doing good work. And uh, thank you once again. And to the audience, uh, you may please check out the link in the description. Um, to everyone in attendance, thank you very much for your time. Allah Hafiz. Thank you so much. Thank you so Allah much. Allah Hafiz. Allah Hafiz.